First Kings chapter number 10, please. First Kings chapter number 10. And I'll read just a portion of scripture there and then we'll turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter two. A wonderful, wonderful special. The choir looked good. Everything is just lovely around here. I read for you out of the book of First Kings, chapter number 10. I'm going to read for you just about eight verses out of that portion of Scripture. But I'd like to give you the title of my sermon, if it would be all right. And I'd like for you to try to hang on to it, if you would, please. I'd hate to go to church not get anything profitable out of the service. Around here, we do not study and pray for a sermon that's 30 minutes long. We pray and seek the Lord's will for messages that will do you some good. And so today, if you would allow me, I want to spend just a few moments talking to you about lessons from a successful loser. Lessons from a successful loser. Losing is not bad if you don't mind standing in the row with second place folk. Nobody wants to be a loser. But what's even worse is to be a successful loser. Verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices, very much gold and precious stones. She was come to Solomon. She communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cup barriers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. A woman that is speechless. <laughs> and she said to the king, it was tr a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, 
I believed not the words until I came and my eyes have seen it. Behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he the king to judgment and justice. I'd like to talk to you today about a man by the name of Solomon. Please note verse 23 of the same chapter. So Solomon, so King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. We read here in the Bible of Solomon's reputation. You see, reputation is what other people think you are. Notice in verse 1, if you would please, in the chapter. Supposedly he was a godly man. Sheba had heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to prove him with hard questions. Verse 5, she was impressed the way he ascended up unto the house of the Lord. When she saw that, she was overwhelmed. So as to reputation, Solomon was a godly man. He was a knowledgeable man. Notice in verse 1, the Bible says about Solomon that he came that the fame was heard in a foreign country concerning all his knowledge and all his wisdom. Notice verse 3, and Solomon told her all her questions Husband, how would you like to be able to do that? I have the answer for all of my wife's questions. Seem like lately it is, I don't know. And that always stops it right there. But he was a knowledgeable man. He was a godly man. Verse number seven talks about him being a wealthy man. Verse number seven, the Bible said, Howbeit I believe not the words till I came, and my eyes have seen, and behold, the half was not told me of thy wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame that I heard. He was a wealthy man. He was a knowledgeable man. He was a godly man. He was a blessed man. Notice verse nine, the Bible says about him, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. What a man. The testimony of a man who had it all, 
and was able to buy it all and to try it all. Success. That's our dream. That's what we send our kids off to college to become godly, blessed, knowledgeable, wealthy. That's the desire of all of our hearts. That's success. The reputation of a successful man. That's why we spend those wee hours in the night studying to get that degree. That's why moms and dads break themselves health-wise to send kids to college so that they can have more than they had. We want our children to be raised differently than us because we were raised poor. We had to work. Our cars were not new. We had to learn something about mechanics. McDonald's was just a dream in some Californian's heart. We had to cook our own sandwiches. We don't want our kids to have to struggle like we did. We want to give them a silver platter that they can eat from. Success. According to today's standards, this ought to be the happiest man in the world. This guy, if he wanted, he could buy it. If he didn't want to buy it, he could lease it. If he didn't want to lease it, he could build it. Now, this guy is a success. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2 and we see not only his reputation, but now we open the pages of his life and begin to look at his attitude. We begin to look at the motivation in his life. Successful he is. Happy he is not. Secure but not content. Alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. Successful, but miserable. Do you know anybody that's alive on the outside, but dead on the inside? Do you know anybody who's successful but unhappy? Watch television. They kill themselves every day. And did you know some of them are even Baptists? 
Listen to Solomon. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. I said in my heart, go to now. I will prove thee with myrrh. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said to laughter, it is mad. And to myrrh are being merry. What doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquaint in my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which we should do under the heaven all the days of their life. Successful, but searching. Money, but not happy. So he said, I just throwed myself into my work. I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. That ought to make everybody happy. Big house and a vineyard. I made me gardens. Hard of my landscape, man. And orchards, and I planted me trees in them of all kinds of fruits. Man, you tell me why the guy's not happy if he's got a nice house, a nice yard, a lot of trees, and a swimming pool. Well, that'd make you happy. I mean, if you had that, dear God, you'd be living on High Street. Well, I got me some servants, verse 7, and some maidens. And servants born in my house, also I had great possessions of great and small cattle. Got him a ranch, probably a deer lease. I gathered me silver and gold and the peculiar pleasure of kings and of providence. I gave me, I got me some singers and some women singers and the lights of the sons of men as musical instruments and this and that all sorts. Oh, by the way, I'd like to tell you, I was so great. Not that, is that what he said? I, so I was great. And increased more than all that was before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remaineth within me. Now, you'd have to question wisdom because he kind of had a problem at the house. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That means that sucker had 1,000 mother-in-laws. <laughs> now, which one are you going to go see tonight? Which one are you going to eat with tomorrow? Verse number 10. This has got to be the happiest dude in the world. For whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I will set not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced, joyful in all my labor.
this was my portion of all my labor. Man, he tried it all. Here's the Mark Cuban, the Bill Gates, and the Donald Trump of the Bible. They made it. He's there. Here is the man that is the epitome of every king and queen of the South. Here is the conversation at every Jewish table at supper time. Here is the envy of every little Jewish boy. Want to be like the king. Wealthy, wise. I can see them now as they drive by the gated community. Solomon lives there. Son, one day, one day, you might be like Solomon. Apply yourself, go to school. Discipline your life, work hard. One day, you could have all that Solomon has. That is our goal. That is what we look for. That is what we desire. And surely, Solomon just got to be the happiest man in all the world. Now you know where I'm going. Now I know your name, not Solomon. And I know that I'm not as wise as Solomon. But if I read about Solomon and stay as foolish as he is, then me and Solomon are hid under the same rock. Notice, if you would, in your Bible, just read down a little bit farther in the same chapter, chapter number two, and I want to show you what Solomon felt about Solomon. Sheba felt Solomon was the greatest. Listen to what Solomon thinks of Solomon. Verse 17. Therefore, I hated life. What? Why? I got everything that's important to us. He's got Houses, lands, and ranches, and money, and fame, and fortune, and power, and prestige. He has got it all. We all would be happy with just a little of what he's got. Have you ever looked in a Christian's eyes and looked like nobody's home? 
They can talk about the birds and the bees and the television and radios and telephones and, and selfies and selfish. They talk about everything except Jesus. Constantly on their mind, the economy, politics, crooked politicians, Fox News, B-U-L-L and baloney after dark. Solomon said, I got it all, but I hate life. Now, why would this guy with all of that hate life? Solomon does not hate life so bad he wants to take his life. Solomon hates life so much because he's going to die and leave all his junk to somebody else. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, why don't I just read it for you? Are you here tonight? Would you, would you like? Verse 17, therefore I hate life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous to me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hate all my labor which I have taken under the sun because I should leave it under the man that shall be after me. You know why Solomon was so miserable? He couldn't take it with him. Kind of reminds you of the guy in California who wanted to be buried in his Cadillac automobile. He died, they got an excavator, they dug a hole large enough for the Cadillac, they set the man upright in the front seat in a tuxedo and lowered him down into the hole and as he hit the ground, somebody said, what a way to go. Ain't that dumb? What a way to go. Do you know anybody that lived like a successful fool? They leave God out of their plans. They leave heaven out of their plans. They leave serving out of their plans. It's all me, my, and let's get it any way we can. And can it when we get it. So nobody else can get it when we're gone. What a crazy way to live. Solomon, how's it going? <laughs> I hate it. Solomon, look at the big house you got. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Somebody's going to spit in the floor when I'm gone. <laughs> Who's going to clean the carpet? Mind. Do you know anybody's got a mind mentality? Mind. Do you know anybody? Mind. Now, I don't know why you folk looking at the floor. It ain't time to pray. 
Look up. Time to pray. You see, I just believe Solomon said, my work is grievous because I can't take it with me. My life is vain. I'm wasting it for somebody else and my spirit is vexed and I'm unhappy, unfulfilled and uncertain. I am a physical, emotional, moral and spiritual wreck. I'm wealthy, but I'm wretched. I'm famous, but I'm frustrated. I'm mighty, but miserable. Powerful, but pitiful. Burn out on life he is to the point of despair, disappointment, and disillusion. A famous famous infidel by the name of Voltaire said, I hate life, yet I'm afraid to die. Hate life and afraid to die. What's his problem? I have a problem. What's Solomon's problem? My soul. Somebody put a hole in that dumb platform right there, just... Fill it up tonight, would you, for Andrew preaches. I'd hate for my son to fall and hurt himself. <laughs> Let's learn something. Can we learn something? God wants us to be successful, but he don't want us to be miserable with it. God wants us to have things, but don't have a nervous breakdown when you lose the key. God wants to bless us, God moved Israel into Canaan, into houses they did not build and vineyards they did not plant and wine presses they did not build and cities that they did not wall. God wants his children to be blessed. And he will bless us if he can trust us. Let me give you Solomon's problems in six minutes, you said you can't do that according to how big his problem is. Here's Solomon's problem. Now, I know none of us are guilty of it, okay? And I don't want you applying the point to your wife when I give it to her. Solomon was living with unrealistic expectations. He thought junk would make him happy. But he forgot that junk rots, rust, and wrinkles. Junk is junk because that what it ends up as junk. And he thought if he could surround himself with enough junk, if he could get enough women, dear God, I need to talk to Solomon about that. 
If he could surround himself with enough cattle, surround himself with enough wealth, surround himself with enough prestige, surround himself and embrace himself with the power that only a king could have, then Solomon would be fulfilled and he would have peace and he would feel like he had accomplished something. But when he got all that he labored for, he said, I hate life. Now, folks, we're all guilty. Have you ever wondered why God let you be born in America? You could have been born in the darkest part of Africa, in Vietnam in the jungles of Southeast Asia. Your home could be a thatch roof house with dirt floors with your oven in the middle. But that's not where you were born. Do you think Surely, surely you think that God was good to you for allowing you to be an American. And giving you such a good looking wife. Go ahead, say amen, fellas. You better... Unless you want to eat bologna for the rest of the week. (laughs) That same guy, I told you. Many today, bless your heart, I've got to close, but many today, who walk about wearing smiles, knowing all the right things to say in public, but privately, Deep down inside, their whole existence has fallen apart. And they hate their life. Solomon was so unhappy, so successful, but yet so unhappy. He had everything in the world except the one thing that we all need and that's the peace of God passeth all understanding. I read recently, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Trust in the Lord Jehovah for in him is everlasting strength. Oh, let me go to bed tonight and get a good night's rest. And I'll take that over a large bank account. Let me go home today to a home that's filled with love and concern, mercy and grace. You can keep your bank account, 
because if my home is that kind of home, then the bank account will come. Living with unrealistic expectations. A lot of guys get married and expect their wife to be God and know exactly what she's got to do to ring his bell. But what he don't know is his bell's broke. A lot of wives get married and have some unrealistic expectations. That they can, that the wife can grow older and older and older and older. And geographically, nothing changes on the body. (laughs) Fella, I don't know if you know this or not, but that ain't the way it works. How many of us are living with unrealistic expectations? Expect too much out of people. Expect too much out of what we do. Expect too much out of God. God help us. God help us to get real. I learned real early, if I disobeyed my daddy, I wasn't going to be blessed. Has any of you folk ever learned that yet? My mama reminded me occasionally that I wasn't going to be blessed. Just wait till your daddy gets home. Well, I don't care if he even comes home. In fact, I hope he goes and stays a long time. But yet we expect to disobey our heavenly father. And unrealistically expect God to bless us when we deliberately disobey him. We're living with unrealistic expectations. Solomon was living with uncontrolled desires. You see, I was taught a long time ago You just can't do what you want to do and get away with it. Solomon was living with unrestrained desires. Verse 10, the Bible said, everything his eye saw, everything his heart desired, anything his lust cried out for, anywhere it wanted to go, anything it wanted to do, Solomon did it. Don't make any difference what God said. Makes no difference what mom and dad said. Makes no difference what the church says. Makes no difference what the law says. Makes no difference. He did it. Everything. That kind of tells us about America, don't it? Our priorities are so much higher than God's. No wonder when we dive to the bottom of pleasures, we come up with more rock than we do jewels. When we dive to this old world's pleasures, we come up with more heartaches 
than we do rejoicing in blessings, do we not? Let me help you now. Solomon lived with no reservations. His theme was go for the gusto, eat, drink, and be merry. It's my life. It's my right. You only live once. Go for it. Unrestrained desires. Oh, by the way, in closing, like father, like son. First Samuel chapter 11. Daniel, David, Solomon's daddy was watching Showtime one evening. I've been HBO. And got caught up in a little pornography next door. No restraint. No change of channel. Did you know that 65% of Christian men watch pornography? 65%. No restraint. You know how you keep from watching pornography? You turn it off. You say, but my computer won't turn off. You bring it to my office. I've got a hammer. I can turn it off. Or I'll give it to Miss Clinton. She can turn it off. You can turn it off. You can turn it off. You still can say no. You can say to the flesh, get behind me. You can tell the devil, go back to hell where he came from. Yeah, you can put restraint in your life. Because he who lives without restraint comes to nothing else to do and finds an empty place. And there he sits down on the stump of regret and says, I hate my life. I see he's living with an unyielded spirit. God says yes, he says no. God says today, he says tomorrow. Isn't that amazing? Do you know anybody in closing? Do you know anybody who might be living with some unrealistic desires? Unrealistic, if you please, expectations. Unrestrained desires and an unyielded spirit. Second Kings, I'm reading for you. You don't have to turn now, I'm done. Second Kings chapter 11. And I read for you these verses, verse number 13 and 14. And the Bible says about Solomon... Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as thou hast done, as this is done to thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, 
I will surely rent the kingdom out of thy hand. Unyielded spirit. Unrestrained desires. And unrealistic expectations. Brought the successful man of the Bible. To a a place of absolute foolishness. Do you know any successful losers who's full on the outside and empty on the inside? Living lavishly on the outside and dying all the while on the inside. 